Hello and welcome to our second episode of Bottled Up. My name is Sunny and I'm sure you're probably as excited as I am for the incredible story that is about to ring in your ears over the next hour. Hesham Fernando is an incredible man and the co-founder and CEO of The Model Man, an organization he started with his dad a couple of months ago, but don't be fooled, there's an incredible story behind that one. In our conversation today, Hesham talks about all things forgiveness, from when he was bottled in a club at 22 to repairing the relationship he has had with his dad in his early teens and into adulthood. It's definitely not one that has happened overnight, but one where the cogs have been in motion over the last decade. So whether you're on your morning walk, laying down, or need some sound to complement your new ISO cooking hobby, do stay tuned for everything that we have planned in this podcast. Hesh, welcome to Bottled Up. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here and I'm looking forward to everything we're about to chat about. It's been such a journey these last couple of years. I still remember the first time we met. I would have been interning at the Timekeeper with Christian, who we've got coming up in a couple of weeks. And I think we were doing a pitch for NAB. And I remember sitting down, um, we were sitting down next to each other, just chatting away. But more importantly, we took the train back home (laughs) afterwards. And um, yeah, I just remembered our conversation just clicked. Um, we were actually talking about our relationship with our parents, which was, um, yeah, quite deep, quite early on. So Yeah, I, I remember it. I remember on the train, we, was, we were just standing like on the train on the way back and we were just talking about life. And I remember thinking, wow, that was a really good conversation when I left. Mm. Um, little did I know, like a few years later, we'd be sitting here <laughs> doing a podcast together. <laughs> It's funny, you just never know what's ahead in life. And like when you plant a seed with someone, like some point in time, you never know where that seed's going to like sprout. You never know what's ahead in life. And I never would have thought that I'd be sitting here doing a podcast with you two years later. But for those that are listening, um, for those that are tuned in, I know you'd have a lot of friends that are listening right now. But, you know, for the people that don't know, um, you're doing some amazing work with The Model Man. Um, so I thought no better to start this off than to ask you, you know, what is The Model Man? The Model Man, it's an organization focused on empowering men to become male role models. Now, there's obviously a whole journey behind that that's come to this point, um, which I'd love to take you all through. Um, but I'm focusing on men and their character and the impression their character leaves on others. That's kind of the premise of The Model Man, right? Now, I'm, obviously, I'm focused more in corporate and places of work because I believe that's where most men spend their days um, after uni and after going into the workforce. The place where people spend most of their day on a 24-hour basis is the workplace. So that's that it, the environment that you spend the most time in should be the place that is really conducive for you to win and thrive and do well in life and be your full self, right? That's what I believe. But from what I've seen, like that's not necessarily the case for a lot of organizations uh, there is a lot of toxic culture out there, a lot of, um, yeah, cultures that, not, that are just not set up for people to win and for them to actually be themselves throughout the day. So then when they take those pressures home and the stress home, like that, that permeates into their life. So I see, I look at corporate buildings like a container that holds people in it and it, and it has an impact on them and then they leave that container every day and then they go out into society carrying the impacts and then projecting that onto other people. And then we have a society built around this. So that's why, that's why I started this work. Wait, wait, what you're talking about is definitely right. I think like there's, there's an analogy that goes where, you know, you walk, so it's this idea that the workplace is like, you know, for, for some people like this muddy mud yard 
uh, whatever it might be. And you go, you go there for your nine to five and you get your, you know, your shoes dirty and that, that mud, as you're talking about that toxic culture, at the end of the day, you're going to come back home and there's still going to be that mud that's left on, you know, the bottom of your shoes that you're going to be, you know, sharing in the house. And that has an impact on the people within your house as well. Um, so it's like such an important thing that you're talking about. Yeah, that's a really cool analogy. I haven't heard that one before <laughs> and I might use that one in future because I think it just paints a really good picture for what's actually happening. And it's about the footprint that you leave, right? Exactly. Your impact footprint. And like that's what I got from that one. It's like wherever you're walking, it comes back to your character. You're leaving an impression on people. Mm. And that, that muddy footprint that you're leaving is your character impression. Exactly. And it's like the people that you serve, that's why you go to work to serve and, you know, be there for your family and, you know, do the things that you want to do. But sometimes when you go to work and you've got these, you know, this muddy, these muddy boots, the people that you care about the most are the ones that, you know, you're probably not realising that you're letting off all this emotion. Actually, I use that exact line in an article I wrote recently, which I haven't published yet, where it's like we're doing, most of the time people are going to work to do these things for the people that they love most, right? But they end up impacting and inflicting on those people because of the pressures that they're accumulating to serve those people. So it's kind of like there's an irony in it, right? Because it's coming from love. I know, I know like I've gone to work because I wanted to support myself and then support people around me. Like I was building, building my career at one point in NAB to fund my future so that I could one day pay for everything my parents had like paid for me. Like, and that was in my mind. And I know a lot of people talk to me about that, being like, hey, I want to help these people. I want to help my family get out of this. So I want to like be able to shout my friends, even at the basic form, shout shout my friends drinks. Like I love that stuff too. Like everyone is inherently generous and sometimes we're scared to be generous because we're afraid people might take. Like that's one thing that's always been there for me. But I think at the core of us, the reason why people do go to work is to protect and to provide um, for themselves and for others. So I, I think that was a really good quote and I love that analogy that you said. It sounds like, you know, there's definitely a lot of introspection. Yeah. And for me, the people that I've dealt with and the people that I've sat down and spoke with, their purpose to do something higher, this purpose to serve others, this purpose to get involved has usually come from, you know, some sort of experience that they've had. Mm. And, you know, taking it back to maybe those years where growing up, you realized that this was an area that you wanted to get involved in. Was there something that sort of, ignited that flame yeah and like this is the part that I love because I love telling story um I always have and at the same time there's been this like paradox because I was scared to tell my story so it was always like a, a battle for me to want to tell something that I love to tell uh and I love that I get the opportunity to do this now now these kind of things never come without a journey so yeah I'm, I want to tell the story of me and my dad growing up so Growing up, like, dad was a corporate man and he's worked across multiple industries and for a long time, probably until recently, until I actually started working with him, I didn't know what he actually did properly. <laughs> and then I saw his CV and I was like, oh, wow, he's done a lot of things, like, just across the multiple sectors and just different roles. But in, in short, he was an IT consultant and he would go into companies and work on change management and how to change culture across corporations, which I had no idea. Even before I started working with him on The Model Man, where that's the whole premise of The Model Man is to shift corporate culture through, through our men and then through our women as well. Um, so 
yeah, dad was a corporate man growing up. He, as far as I can remember, he was, he'd come home, but he was never really present. And he was always really stressed. Like those are the two things that I saw. Um, and there's like so much depth to this story in terms of how it impacted me, the way I saw him as, as a father growing up and as a role model. Like the honest truth is I didn't respect him. And it took me a long time to build respect again. And it's still an ever, ever growing process of like getting closer to him and building on our relationship and healing father-son wounds that have been there day on day for decades, cultivating and being built within me without me realizing that that was what was happening. So he, he would go to work, he would build all this stress all the, and have all this pressure on him. And like he would accumulate that at work every day and bring it home. And my, my memory and how my brain has recorded it is he would come home most nights. It would, like as it's getting towards like six o'clock, tension would start building in the house. Like I could see mum would be getting more tense or like things would just like start building towards the fact that our dad was coming home. There was like this pinnacle throughout the day where there was this softer energy in the house and then suddenly it's getting more dense and dense and dense. And now I don't know if that was the case for my mum and my brother my younger brother, but for me, that's how I felt. And I knew when he came home, the energy in the house would change and there would be like a denser energy. Now, I wasn't conscious of it at the time that that's what was happening, but in retrospect, that's how I see it. He would, he would come home, he'd be stressed, he'd be disgruntled, he'd be very short, he wouldn't want to really talk. Um, you could tell he'd been frustrated by the day, like he was just giving that energy off and it was kind of like, I wouldn't even want to like come and talk to him or th things like that because it's just like that leave me alone energy, like you could just feel that. And then he would head upstairs and the, most nights I would remember like arguments starting to break out. Like I'd hear it in the, like upstairs in the distance when I'm downstairs and I'm watching TV with, with my brother, suddenly hear like yelling. And still to today, that kind of thing triggers me a bit. If I hear like arguments or raised voices like breaking out somewhere, I immediately go into protective mode or survival mode. Um, and it's something that I've had to uncondition because then when I hear those arguments breaking out, I'd leave my brother downstairs. Then I'd run upstairs, I'd close the door, and then the fighting would be usually like pretty heated. Like they'd be arguing. And then my dad would kind of be like, I said this, I'm right, she's wrong, she's this. And then my mum would be saying, he did this to me, he said this. Basically just putting two people trying to get their opinions across about how they feel and neither of them hearing one another. That's the crux of it. From a very early age, so probably like 12 years old, I started to learn how to mediate conversation. I learned, I learned how to disarm and diffuse people. So when emotions were heightened, I was able to like bring them down by being the person in the middle that brought kind of a voice of reason between two deferring opinions. That is what led to a life where I started to want to fix and solve problems. I just grew a love for it. And I think my love came out of the fact that I felt like I didn't do that great a job growing up because I wasn't trained in it, I was just put in a, in a situation where I had no choice, right? The irony of this is now we've been on this journey, right, of healing and there's so much in between and I can fill the gaps for you. I, and there's like a whole other story that like around 22 changed my life forever, which I will go into a bit later. But that, all that in part led to a journey me and my dad starting to heal our wounds and healing the things between us that kept us completely disconnected. And I started to build and earn his trust again. He started to earn my trust again. 
which led to the model man where now we're working together. He's my mentor. So I'm literally going to him for help every day being like, what should I do here? What should I do here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's like just a beautiful, like godly um, presence over the entire journey of me and my dad. Because it was kind of like we had to go through the valley and through the pain in order to be able to come to this point where now we can use that pain, turn it into a passion, start working together to serve other men, to not go through the same. Because 10 to 20 years later, this stuff's still happening in corporate. People are probably a lot worse now by, by the statistics. Um, like nothing's really changed. Things about, the, the systems have gotten even more ingrained. Um, the environments are even harder for people to just be themselves. And the stress is at an all-time high, employee turnover rate, employment unhappiness. Like you look at all the statistics, all all of it out there has significantly increased and worsened. But I believe me and my dad went through that and our entire family has gone through different journeys. I could tell you the same thing with my brother, the same thing with my mother, but specifically with my dad, the model man was was my journey with him. And And the journey to kind of healing us so we could effectively heal others again. Mm. That's powerful, and and you mentioned, you mentioned how you were doing this at you know the early age of twelve, and I can only imagine that when I was twelve, I echo a lot of the things you say as well, but I can only imagine you know when I was twelve, I was out there playing with friends, um, riding a bike, playing football, all those things that a lot of people you know that are twelve or you know growing up do or seem to do. How how did this play a role in you know? I can only imagine that there was this persona you had at home and this persona you had with your friends, yeah. almost like it's fragmented. And this idea of trying to hold multiple personalities because that's definitely something I've struggled with over time and I can hear that through your story as well. How did that play a role with your mental health? Because that, that stuff is taxing. Man, that's such a good question. I write that. <laughs> um, because the second you said that, like I developed like a multiple personality disorder and the more and the more I went through things and like compartmentalize my life it was my way of feeling safe and I would choose specific people and specific groups to show up a certain way to most of the time what what got me like like where I'd be accepted was to be like the funny person and just be lighthearted and muck around and joke around because that's what like the boys liked (laughs) right at school or like even with dad there was the lighter side of our relationship too so that was all going on and nobody had any clue outside of us four that any of that was happening out of me and my brother and my mom. And this is, I'm sure, the story of many. And this is why I love telling this stuff because I know people are listening right now that are going to hear this and be like, hey, I went through that exact same thing. Now, how did you, how did you overcome that? Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm doing what I do. Right? That's why I know the power of story- storytelling is so important. But fragmenting my personalities, it kept me feeling safe. That was number one. Um, and the part of my personality, personality no one saw was like the anger and the rage and the screaming into my pillow at night and, the, and the, just like the, the deep hate that I wouldn't show anyone I had. Now, maybe I didn't think anyone could see it. I'm sure my parents felt it. Because as human beings, we, we react in multiple ways, like sensory-wise, right? We can see, we can hear, we can taste, we can feel energy too. And even if we're not saying it and we're not conscious of it. Like I know my parents would have felt like, Hey, like this kid wants nothing to do with us. Cause that's the energy that I was putting out. And I was like, I have no respect for either of you for different reasons. 
And so I'm only going to show you a part of me that's going to push you away. So they, they never saw the fun side of me. Isn't that funny? So my parents, I had this mask where I was like, I'm the angry kid, like leave me alone. Like if you try to even say anything that remotely I don't like, like walls up, like build a castle around me, like you can't get in. It's ironic because this is exactly what your dad, that energy your dad was giving off. It's now you're picking up that exact same energy. Did you realize that? I didn't realize that then. Now, the whole model man concept is role modeling and example setting and that we mimic everyone around us, right? We're, we, are, we are the construct of everything that everyone else has made us to be, right? We are what everyone else sees us as. Now, being around an angry father, I was like, I am never going to be like him. I became exactly like him, full of rage. Um, I had no respect for women at one point in my life too, like very little respect. And that's something that took me a long time to get over the shame of. But I'm proud of myself because I took responsibility for it when I realized. And that is the key. And I can hear the honesty when you speak as well. That is the key because all of us are going to make mistakes. This world right now isn't set up for people to be themselves healthily and to win. The systems just aren't set up that way, which is why I'm doing this work. But the beauty of of all of this is I've come to this place now where I'm showing more of all of myself to more people. And this has been a progressive thing to feel safe and safe and safer to be myself without feeling like I'm going to get judged, without feeling like I'm going to get kicked out of the tribe, in quotation marks, um, and end up on my own where I'll have to survive by myself and no one's going to love me and no one's going to help me if I need help. I think that's all human beings' like deepest fear is like ending up outside of the tribe, wherever they feel safest and trust, and like not having family or friends that they feel like they can like talk to or like have banter with or connect to in some sort of way. I think connection is the deepest part of who we are as human beings. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Like that's the authentic and genuine self, and you sharing that. Like I can only imagine, you know, that moment when you were putting your head into the pillow with full rage how scared you would have been um, and how you would have felt like your whole world just collapsing you know, onto you. And I want to ask, did you have friends that checked in or friends that realized that something wasn't right? Like, I remember like even just anecdotally speaking, like there's been times where I've gone through, you know, that tunnel and sometimes you struggle to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I've been very fortunate to have, you know, friends going through high school, but also probably more so during university is just check in and ask like, hey, Sonny, are you okay? Like, Sonny, you know, you're not acting like yourself recently. Like, is there something we can do for you? And, you know, I think over the last couple of years, like definitely I'm in a much better place now and I feel so good, but it's because I've been able to, you know, start talking about it and start realizing that actually it's okay not to be okay. How cliche is that? But it's so important. You know, it's actually okay not to be okay because a lot of people go through shit. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to get a sense of, you know, did you have those friends that checked in? Um, yeah, and realized that there was something that they could do to help you. Yeah, wow, that's a good, that's a good one, man. And like, I definitely resonate with that. It's like the feeling of like when you're in the valley, where is everyone? Exactly. And I keep I call it the valley all the time because it feels like walking to like dark hills where like n- there's like shadow and no one's there to see what you're walking through and then you might come out of those valleys but like no one knows what you went through while you were down there, mm-hmm. right? And my valley was like locking myself in a room 
that was like dark most days. Actually, the room in one of the rooms in this house, like downstairs, was a room that I locked myself in most days and nights. You know what? I think it's important to tell it now because it's 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 this. It's like I the most alone I ever felt in my life. I feel like no everyone that was there in my life suddenly just like moved away, and it was just me and like I didn't even know what. It was me and like a void, and like I talked to that void. So this story is when I was 22, I was in at a uni event with like mates, and um, it was like probably a very safe environment for people, right? Like you're at in uni, like you know everyone at the event. It's like second year uni, like so everyone knows everyone, everyone's friendly, everyone's talking, laughing. And I remember talking to one of my mates and I actually told her, hey, I'll be back. I'm just going to go check on where my other friends are. I go to the back of this club at this uni event and a fight is breaking out. And I see some of my, my mates are in it. And just like split second moment, I think that survival thing kicked in where it's like, oh, there's like conflict happening. Same as my parents. I need to stop it. Like I need to be the guy. I need to be the, the hero in a sense. So I jump in to stop it. I pull about like, I don't know, about 15 people behind me, just like force everyone, like I split the pack and force everyone behind me. And as I do that, someone cracks like a big glass bottle like on my face and like shatters on my face. From right aware about your sitting, now just with the people listening, you're about a meter in front of me, that person threw it as hard as they could and it hit my face and I fell to the floor. Um, and went in an ambulance about 45 minutes later um, because uh, people wrapped a bunch of bandages around my head to stop the bleeding and ice and everything like that. Ended up in the hospital and I remember they took off the bandages. And for the f- and I saw myself in the mirror and I had like, have you seen uh, Batman where it's like um, Two-Face? The, so he's, he's got like one side of his face is like scarred and the I've other face. Fa- yeah, literally that's what came to my mind in that moment. I never forgot it. It's like etched in my memory where it's like I look like that villain. And I remember telling myself I look like a monster. Like I look like a monster. And there was this like whole scene, it's like a movie scene where my dad's sitting in the background with his hands in his, his face in his hands, he's like bent over, like emotional obviously seeing his son, this has happened to his son, right? Um, me feeling all sorts of things, but predominantly rage. Now I felt, I had been building rage for a long time towards my parents and just in life in general and becoming this very angry kid who wore this mask that he was happy at school, but uh, was very angry underneath it all. And this just like set me off. Mental health went off the scale. Um, lost control of all my emotions. If anyone triggered me even a little bit after that, like it would just be like lashing out at them, yelling at them, like kicking cars and walking off, to kicking whatever I could, like just complete unleash and no control. Like I lost control of my humanity and who I was. And that part of me, that part of me that wanted to protect myself started taking over and like consuming me. So I felt so unsafe is that's when I started to do the whole like barricade myself and then be alone, back to your point, right? I needed to be alone because I felt like if I was, was around people that I didn't know how I react in any environment or what would trigger me. I didn't feel in control of myself enough to feel like I'd be safe for other people to be around. Like that's what it had come to because I was having very dark thoughts. Um, mental health was just like totally out of whack. But the whole thing I realized later on was I was never alone and most people are never alone. We create that for ourselves. And this is something that it's a thing to take responsibility for As, because I know there's a lot of men out there. And look, women feel this too, but I'm speaking on men right now because of what we're talking about. There's a lot of men that feel alone and then they blame everyone else saying, you don't want to be around me or like they feel like the circumstances are everyone's walked away. But the reason that happens is something within us. 
because we actually want to be alone. And so we put that out that like no matter, even if people do come close, we push them away and then we blame them for walking away, right? Now that can be, it can look very subtle sometimes in the way that we do that. It might not be as menacingly as I did it where it was just like, F off, leave me alone. Or I don't want to talk about this or I just walk off in like rage. And it can look as subtle as just like, uh, be like, oh no, that's okay. Like I don't, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Like just even saying something like that, that's still pushing people away. And then it's validating, oh yeah, when those people go away, you're looking for the evidence of, ah, okay, these people don't want to be around me, I am alone. So if we, this is a belief thing, and this is what I've come to realize, because I've realized I'm not alone at all, and I never have been. I used to push everyone away for years. This was about six years of after I got bottled, which was at 22. For about six years, um, I'd wear a mask and go out here and there and like see people, but in general, I hated people, and I hated being around anyone, because I just couldn't be around en- people's energy. It was just too much for me. I became really sensitive to energy. Um, so I could pick up when the energy wasn't really that great, especially going to like clubs and events and like energies like all over the place. I was like, no, nah, I have to go home. I can't be here. And people would be like, what's, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, no, I just want to go home. And like, I get really short and like shut down. And then I'd go home and be like, I'm all alone. And it's validating the fact that I feel that I'm alone in my life and that I've always been alone. And funny thing is like, as part of like being vulnerable and open and talking about these things and healing the past and all of that, like I've reached out to bullies. Actually, the guy who bottled me himself, like we were in court for most of my uni life. Most of my uni life was like court and police coming to my house and like wondering when the case was going to like, whether the case was going to be done and then him appealing and um, all of this stuff. Like, and I would love for him to hear this. Um, I've already spoken to him and that's what I wanted to talk to you about because I actually reached out to him. I found him and reached out to him. Tell me about that. Yeah. um, That was quite an experience because it was... It was the moment that I realized what true forgiveness looked like and actually feeling love again for somebody who did that to me, right? Now, at the, at the time, I was young, I was angry, I hated him, I blamed him for my life. Like, I never really saw him. I saw him in court and things like that, but I was angry. And, I, and the hard part for me and what took so many years was to actually take responsibility for how I was perceiving him and holding him to being this person because true forgiveness is... Um, understanding that he made a choice in a moment to re- react. And I don't know what his life was like after that. I don't know how, how he became, which is why I reached out to him. Because I, I wanted him to know the man I'd become since that day. Now, like, I went through, like, a pit for a long time. Like, it was my life descended from that point. Before it started to come up again, like, probably, like, six, five, six years later is when I started to come up again and actually want to talk to people and be outside again. And I just preferred being inside because I liked the dark and I liked, it felt safe. No one could see me. And I was literally, again, it's evidence. My life was physically reflecting how I felt about myself. Like I liked being in the dark because I didn't like people seeing me and I felt dark on the inside. So it's where I felt safest. Now I love being in the sun because I actually feel so like light inside, but that's been a massive journey. And part of that was forgiving him because he, he was where I held a lot of my anger, resentment, uh, blaming life, being a victim. I became a victim because I was a victim of a crime, right? So in my mind, I'm like, I'm a victim, like the world owes me something, like I didn't deserve this. I was trying to be the hero. I was trying to do good for people and this is what happens. When you do good for people, uh, you get hit. So I started living life like, if I do good for people, I'm going to get hit. So I was constantly trying to do good for people, but also worried that they're going to take advantage of me. And that's been an ongoing battle for me my, my whole life and still something I'm working on even now. But because I have the awareness, every time it ca- happens, live I can catch it 
be like, oh, this is what's happening, and then do something new. Because it's in the awareness that we have access to doing something new. If we're not aware of what's running us, then it's, it's running us. We don't run it. We, don't, we can't do something new. It can, be, it can be so easy just to point at him and be like, you stole five or six years of my life because of you know, the silly thing that you did or the stupid, cowardly, right? Yeah. There's, there's only one word to say that. But it's so easy to point the finger. But it sounds like you've really taken that time to introspect. Mm. There's obviously been a shifting point. Yeah. When did you start realizing that, okay, maybe I've got to start changing gears. Maybe you know, it comes from within. Yeah. It's not him or her that has caused this. Yeah, the hospital bed. For when I was going into the operation on my face, like I got an operation on my eye. Obviously, the, the listeners can't see this, but like I had an operation on my eyelid and a lot of stitches, about 35, 40 stitches on my face, right? When I was going for that operation and there was no one around and I was in a dark room and it was like, I think I went into the operation pretty like early morning. I can't remember because it was like three days of just like not eating and, and like picking glass out of my eye and cleaning me up for the surgery, right? And I remember lying there just being like, oh my God, like, my whole life and everything that's led to this moment, like, this is me. It's because of how I felt about myself. Like, I've created this. I realized in the moment, I remember lying on the bed and being like, like just being like light bulb moment. And like, oh my God, I, I caused this. But I'd been living my whole life up to that point being like, my dad did this to me. My mom did this to me. Those people didn't care about me. Those people bullied me. Um, this guy hit me with a bottle. Like, I was, I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy. Now, yes, I had the intention of being a good person. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I have designed my entire life to show up exactly the way it showed up. I got bottled because I had designed my life to lead myself towards getting bottled. And I live my life now realizing everything that I design is what's happening to me. We're on this podcast because I intended to live a life where these kind of things could happen from then on. And it took me a while to undo the damage and the internal wiring and the the negative beliefs that were running my life to actually pick them up and see what's running me and then kind of insert new ones in. Um, Forgiving him was the release because he, like talking to him in that conversation, it was through like a text, but the line that never left me when we were talking, firstly, he was like, he said, I'm like really inspired by the person that you become. Hearing that from the guy that hit you, that you went caught with this guy and like the person you'd never want to see, like, Actually having a conversation with that kind of person is a real surreal life experience that not many people would get to experience. But I want people out of this podcast, if there's somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven, that's like the person, you not the person you'd ever forgive, they've done the most horrific thing to you. Like I want you to just be willing to look into whether you can and see if you can take that on and start to go on a journey of what that may even look like because it's going to set you free. It set me free. And then it gave me access to set him free because he told me he'd been living with the guilt and shame of what I'd been doing to him, what he had done to me every day of his life since that point where everyone in his life never even talked to him about any of it because they knew how touchy it was for him. He felt so ashamed of the person that he was that he went on to, I think, mentor younger kids around violence. Um, And I was like, wow, like just even hearing that, like it gives me an understanding of his life and gives me an access to being like, who is this guy actually? Because all, all I know of him is who I've created him to be without actually speaking to him. And there is so many of us out, out there right now, and I'm talking to you on this podcast, whoever you are listening, that there will be people in your life that you haven't even given a chance to like show who they actually are to you and you've, you've created and assumed who they are for yourself 
and right now they're living that way in your view of them. And that is a big part of the reason why the world isn't working right now is because we have a whole lot of views and a whole lot of people. Here's a controversial one, Trump, right? And like, I love controversy. This is why I love bringing up stuff like this. But like, I'm talking about more the premise of judging people based on just what we hear rather than actually talking to people like the guy who hit me and finding out who they really are. Now, you may still find out that they're not the greatest person in the world, right? And they might be doing crazy things. And you might, it might just be like, oh, wait, actually, I was right. But don't assume. That's what I'm trying to get at. Don't ever assume. Because if I had assumed about this guy and never reached out to him, I would have never found out that he'd been living like this, suffering in pain. Look, I had actually gotten more over it than him. And he's the one who hit me. So hearing that and then talking to him about that, he said this one line. He's like, I'm not a bad guy, man. I just made a mistake. And that one's like lived with me ever since because I can resonate with that. I'm not a bad guy. I've just made mistakes. I've hurt people too. Not in that way, but equivalently in, in other ways. I've hurt women. I've hurt men. I've hurt people I've loved, right? And we all have because we're all trying to figure ourselves out during those younger ages, especially becoming men when going, becoming boys to men. Doing that transition while we're trying to figure ourselves out and unconditioning the learnings that are not serving us, then trying to be who the world's telling us to be, when we're out of alignment with ourselves, we make irrational decisions or we make decisions that aren't the best for us or others. And half the time, the world's not even teaching us to look at the impression our character's leaving on others. When has anyone ever told me that when I was growing up? No one. Like, no one talked about that stuff because it was just like life happened. That's what it was for me. I, life happened and I lived and I went and worked at Target and I went and went to parties and I went to, <laughs> and I loved talking to people because I had fun and I loved playing basketball and I, and I liked shooting three-pointers. Like it's just, it was just like I could rattle off my life. There was no conscious thought to what was actually happening. My life just happened to me. Now my life happens through me and that's what changed in the bed that night in the hospital because I decided that life is going to happen through me from now on and I'm going to do whatever it takes to discover what got me to this point that led me to getting hit and all the other things where I lost respect for dad and my journey with my parents and losing friendships and people like feeling like people turned on me and I'm all alone because that's what happened to me back to the alone bit um, I felt alone because I pushed everyone away I, I claimed that people betrayed me and turned on me after I got bottled where like they weren't there for me like you said in the moments I needed them most and I had people that tried to be and I still push them away just to validate that I'm alone, right? Because really, what I'm really trying to say is I want to be alone. And I'm too scared to be around people. I'm too scared to let you in again. That's the truth. So it's just more convenient to say, like, you guys aren't there for me. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing at The Model Man, man. Because people need... Role, a big part of role modeling is taking responsibility. That's why, like, responsibility is a huge thing I teach the men in corporates now. You're onto something. Because even, even in high schools and um, when people are growing up, em- emotional intelligence isn't taught to us. And I see the exact same thing. There's, there's people I deal with that are 30, 40, 50, but I can see those little, those little pieces in their character, which I can tell that that inner child is still there and there's something behind all that. There's, there's different layers, and those layers pack on over time. 100%, man. And when you say this, like, there's all... There's this inherent part of us that just wants to remain like a child and like that, have that childlike curiosity, have the childlike behavior because it's where we're lightest. But life happens. We grow into our bodies. We, become, we physically become bigger. But I think the most successful people in the world are the ones that are most deeply connected to that inner child that they didn't lose when they were a child or they've come back to unlearning all the stuff that they learned that doesn't serve them 
in order to just become someone who can be light and happy. And shout out to my mate Christian right now, who's actually done the done a podcast with you guys. He he's someone that every time I'm around him, he's very connected to his inner child. Um, and there's a curiosity, and he has a fun and a joy in the way he speaks. He's like a child just expressing himself, and. I love that and it's something that I look to embody and like that's that's role modeling for me. That's the whole concept of the model man. It's like where who in life or who around me are embodying the things that I want to become or embodying the things that I already am that I like. Because the more I surround myself with those kind of things, the more that I'm able to keep myself in environments that hold me to being that and continuing to being that. Um, and we're just a society that's scared to be ourselves. That's that's from the man cave, like I saw that in the kids. And like I've worked with adults, like even beyond working with model men, I've just like people have come to me as adults and like talk to me about this stuff. It's just naturally what happens in my day-to-day conversations. Like we're talking on a podcast right now, but I talk like this to people a lot. And like at like dinner parties or things like that, like or just like catching up with my mates. My conversations mostly end up like this. <laughs> this this is exactly what I was saying at the start. When we first met, yeah. I just remember that conversation we had. That two years ago, I was just like, wow. Like, it was just one of those conversations that are just going to stick with you for life. And I think kudos to you because I think you do this really well. You're able to connect with people right to the core just in that initial conversation. And I think that's what people value the most because sometimes, sure, small talk is great, but sometimes people feel like small talk is just a burden, right? And there's an important theme that's coming out throughout this whole thing, and it's this idea of self-confidence. Because I can only imagine that during those years when you were growing up, that, that friction you had with your dad, that self-confidence perhaps wasn't there. Shattered. Shattered. After getting bottled, I can only imagine that spiraled even further. But now, having these conversations with people, tell me about how that confidence has ballooned up and you know, you've become your authentic self throughout that whole process. Yeah. See, when you said that, here's what was happening in my body. You're talking about confidence. My body tried to shut down. Because there's a part of me that doesn't believe that I'm confident, right? Now, this is, this is the gold here. Like admitting this in live, in real time, if people can start to do this in their conversations, then that's the access to being yourself. Because what happens is in the schoolyard, like somebody comes up to you and then like says something to you and then you don't feel confident, right? Because they've like, and this, I'm telling my story pretty much. This used to happen to me all the time. Like kids used to say stuff like, like emotionally, emotional bullying was a big thing, like in our school. Um, and definitely something I received in high school a lot, Let much, much less in uni because I, I know I developed a, I got to kind of start afresh. It was like, I didn't have the same people ongoing from high school, got to meet new people and kind of show them like, a, like it was from a day one, a new person. So I got to be whoever I wanted to be again. But in high school, it was difficult because the persona that I fit into was one, this like brown boy, in like a predominantly white school. Um, that, was, that was a whole nother like set of challenges and, and beliefs about myself and protection mechanisms that I developed to just fit in and be accepted. Um, but the confidence piece was like, when I didn't feel confident, if someone just bagged me or said something to me and they knew that it got me, like I would just feel unconfident and then try to cover it up by like trying to be like cool or try to like be funny. And then like, like if it was a bully, that bully wouldn't like would see right through that. Because that's, that's what bullies are good at. They're good at seeing the weakness and the trigger and then like chipping at it, right? Poking at it. Because that gives them joy for whatever reason, right? Things that they've gone through as well. And like it puts them in a position where they feel maybe a little bit powerful, 
right? Working with the man cave has been really interesting because I've got to see the psychology behind bullies, behind alphas, behind the quiet child, behind the kids who love to study, behind um, the ones who love music, behind the ones who are the cool kids, um, behind the ones that fit a little bit into the cool kids circle, but like also I can get along with everyone. There's always those guys as well. Like I can think of literally those people that were in my life that fit all of those categories growing up. And I bet you, you do too. And I bet you everyone else, the second I, I start to label like that, they'll think of the people that remind them of those labels that impacted their lives in that way during school. This, this idea of alignment, and I'm sure there's probably many people that are listening right now. You're working with your dad. Yeah. Um, I assume you guys are working much closer than you ever have before. Tell me what that relationship is like now. Yeah. Anyone who knew my relationship with my dad through like the period I got bottled and like maybe before that, like earlier friends. And there was definitely people who are very close to me, some of my best friends still, who know I didn't have a good relationship with dad and that I talked about him very negatively, would be shocked. <laughs> would be shocked at the level of like teamwork and like dedication that we have to what we're doing and the support and the trust that's being built. Like... It's like day and night, like, and that's why I, I want our, our example of relationship as father and son to be, exemplify that for other people. But I want them to hear like how horrible the relationship was. Like this was the man I hated more than anyone. Like that, and I said that honestly because I, I hated him. Like I, it was like a burning, like murderous rage I had in my body. And one thing that I've learned about, like so many people disown that about themselves, like many men feel that stuff, right? It's like, oh, I want to kill that person. I want to hit that guy. Like that's our dark masculine. That's a part of us. If we disown that and it's not able to be spoken about in conversation, like it's a normal thing and it's not normalized, then it's a thing that we suppress and it's a thing that shows up as an explosion. Cue your, your organization bottled up, right? <laughs> and I, the irony of that, I got bottled and I'm on the show talking about bottled up is funny. <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh about that. It means you've definitely moved on. That's the bit, right? Because when I talked about that guy, it's like I have love and affinity for him now so I can talk about that situation. Like I wanted to actually interview him for Model Man. Like I want, and like he's he like this is to you out there if you're ever listening to this man. Like I would love to just talk to you one on one and create safe space to just talk about as people like who've grown from something like this, be an example for people on forgiveness. Like it's so powerful. Um, and I know like in his time, like I, like if he ever felt like it, like I'd be happy to do something like that with him and actually sit face to face, have a coffee, maybe put on a recording like this and just uh, have a chat. Let it out, right? Yeah, because it. it it's powerful when people set an example and I want more people in corporations to set examples. I want leaders in corporations to set examples because they lead entire teams who have lives outside of the workplace and that leadership extends to outside of the workplace where those people feel less stress and then they, they don't take that home to their family and then project it on them because that leader exemplified what it is to be a peaceful, calmful, rest-centered human being. Right? I think that's super important. It's sometimes funny how all of us just want to live the best life. We, we just want this feeling of joy without any problems. But sometimes achieving that can be the hardest thing in the workplace. And, and we, we forget to realize that maybe it's just one conversation away. Like, hey, just tell me how you're feeling. Maybe we can be on the same page. And bang, some, yeah. some of that weight off your shoulder just comes off. Mm. And that's difficult. Because, and that comes back to like, the constraints that are put in the workplace. It's hard to say about how you really feel, right? Because... You want to please your boss. You want to please your peers. You don't want to piss off team members. Work politics, this is a, t a term I hear a lot because like, I'm out of the corporate space, right? So hearing the lingo all of a sudden like 
work politics and lip service and all the things that like people like know are going on and have coined terms for it, but it's not spoken about openly. It's all spoken about like with people you trust in the background. But what's really going on is it's really hard to open up conversations like that in the workplace because the constraints in the workplace are so tight in most corporations that there's no space that feels safe enough to talk about these things and actually voice yourself about how you're feeling and like the alignment piece with him. The journey is now at a place where he's my mentor, he's the, he's the man I look up to. I'm learning so much about him now every day, more and more, like about his childhood, about like the things that he saw that his dad did, um, like, like his journey. Because it's in the understanding of who he is as a person from beginning to end, I start to map out who he is and why he does what he does. So then I'm no longer assuming uh, this is why, he, like he's angry because of this, because he hates me or because like, I'm not good enough, or which is what we do as human beings, right? The second our father or our mother um, do something that makes us feel rejected or makes us feel judged or whatever, we immediately create a like a, a little story about why they're they're doing that, not realizing like where the fact that they even judge people comes from, where the fact that they even find it hard to accept you may come from, or they may not be doing that at all. But the point is understanding and getting a map of a person's entire life and understanding as much as you can about their journey is the key to freedom. Because it's in understanding people's stories deeper and deeper and more inherently and having that curiosity like me and dad have now every day because we're, we're talking about this stuff every day. We're in meetings together, working together to help these men. He's helping them from like pretty much the father energy perspective and I'm helping them from like the younger person coming up who was impacted by the father. So it's a really powerful duo working together to like help heal both the inner child and like what's happening presently in the workplace and providing like tangible solution, which is my dad's expertise. It's funny because I had no idea this was his job, <laughs> right? Like this is how little I knew him. Mm-hmm. So in terms of how, if I didn't even know like what my dad did as a job, like his whole life, I'd just be like, oh, he's IT consultant. I don't know actually what he does, like journey forever. You can get infinitely closer to anyone, right? So it's not about like there's going to be an angle where like now we're like, that's it. And like we just stay at this place where we're like loving. It's like love is... Like I'm learning through this journey, love has like so many layers and it's an infinite thing. And for me, I have a relationship with God and God is probably the pinnacle of that. But I feel like logically I could never understand the love that God has, but I could get as close to it as I possibly could. And I freaking love that. You know, you're the practical example of someone who had basically zero relationship with your dad, you know, as a teen. And now your dad is your mentor, which is absolutely crazy. And a weird irony exists, you know, you used to be this voiceless kid who didn't want to talk, you locked yourself up, and now you've grown into this confident man who is going into workplaces and helping others realize the learnings that you've had, um, but more importantly, help them improve the relationships that they have, you know, with themselves, you know, within themselves, but also between each other, which I think is so powerful. There's an irony, and there always is an irony in mission. Because mission comes from the pains that we go through and having overcome them. Because that's, that's where I, if anyone wants to like discover their mission or their purpose in life, look at the things that you've been through. Start there. Because when you look at the things that you've been through and then the things that you've overcome, that's what purpose is. It's helping other people being able to overcome the things that you've gone through. Right now, every single person has their own path that they've walked that no other person on earth has walked. That's why everyone has a purpose. Because I can't speak on behalf of you or you or anyone listening to this podcast about what they've been through and only they know their journey in full. 
where they know what they've been through, they know what they've learned because they were going through it completely from day zero to day dot. So from that is where purpose can be derived because you look at what are the things that I've overcome and how do I turn that into something and create something outward and as an outward expression of who I am into the world where I can now help people overcome that same thing. And if everyone in the world is doing that, it doesn't have to be a business. I'm just saying, I was, before I had a business, I was doing this for years. Like I, this was just me. So when I had conversations with people, my conversations became so interesting because I was just like and speaking out an outward of expression of all the things that I've been through and then how I overcame it. Like when I, talk, like I talked about the guy who hit me, like I was talking about that before I ever did any of this. And I've had conversations where like people went and forgave someone because they heard what I did. You know, like, so it's start off with being the example and don't be so concerned about like growing a business and being the big entrepreneur and needing to be seen and validated for what you're doing. Like I've been through those spaces, even in growing businesses. If people overcome that, which I am putting out there to everyone who knows anybody who's going through this, like try and plant the seeds in that person that the reason that they're going through this thing is for some greater purpose. Because for me, like again with God, it's like I believe the devil tries to stop us from like doing good for others and tries to keep us in that pain, right? I believe like there's a big, there's a big conscious, there's a consciousness, right? And there's like a light and a darkness to it. The light's trying to get us to do the good thing and the dark, conscious, the dark consciousness, which is conscious, is trying to keep us where we are at so we don't do that thing. So people who are going through pain right now know it's for the greater good always. And if we st- you start to believe that, it starts to open up the ability to at least walk forward in the dark and just keep walking straight and trusting that at some point a light will start to appear somewhere ahead of you because that's what my life ended up being. Like I saw a glimpse of light when I did the Young Social Pioneers program uh, for the Foundation for Young Australians for my old business. That was my first light that I saw. Everything else was misery. Even when I was running my other businesses, I was like in misery, unhappy, internally like dead. That's why like, I want, like, I'm so focused on being the example and I'm not perfect, trust me, <laughs> I'm not. Like you could talk to any of my mates who see me behave like a five-year-old half the time. And that's the point. I should be able to be who I really am with my mates and with people. Like I'm not out there to be like, hey, be this perfect, well put together, pristine person, but just be aware of the impression that your character has on others at minimum, right? And then live your life. Because if we're, if we're trying to be this ideal all the time and like match it, that's not realistic. But if we are aware of the ideal we'd like to have, then at least it starts to seep into our life more naturally. And that's what I run these men through. I get them connected to their values and then get them connected to their organizational values, looking at where, where does that all fit in? Because values at the end of the day underpin the way that we live our lives, right? And I can tell immediately when I talk to you and you as well that you both have amazing values and character. Like that's just apparent because I can see it, it emanates in your being when you're living by particular values. And you can see where people's values are out of whack. And anyone can see that with anyone. I'm sure anyone on this podcast right now could be like, yep, because you can feel like where their values are coming from and what they're emanating. Um, But yeah, it's just, man, there's so much to this. That is so much to unpack. And that is so so powerful. We we always finish off by asking. um, There's obviously, you know, the idea behind Bottled Up is this idea of creating conversations, this idea of checking in. And tapping in, you know, to your friends, um, it extends past that. You know, having mentors, having people, you know, that you admire, mm. um, and you you talked a lot about leading by example. What advice would you give to someone that is perhaps going through something very similar to what you are? And I think you've touched on this quite perfectly. Um, someone who maybe doesn't have the best relationship with dad or mum, 
is there a piece of advice? You know, you talked about responsibility, you talked about leading by example, but is there is there some piece of advice you would give to someone who's out there that's currently facing that? Yeah, who's currently facing any challenge of any sort. Like if you're going through any challenge in your life out there right now, I put it to you that it's it's the evidence thing. Like you are designing your life exactly the way that you want it to be to either protect yourself or to become abundant in life. So my advice is look at whatever's happening in life outside of yourself. This is the outside in, inside out thing. Like whatever you perceive happening to you outside in your life, point the finger back inward always and look at what that's reflecting back to you about yourself that hasn't been dealt with and become curious about it. Because there might be people that you're not getting along with, relationships breaking down, stress at work, all of these things are things that I want people to start living like they've attracted. Like it's our, it's our, it's not anyone else's fault. It's our, it's our design. Human beings design the life around them, right? Based on their experiences and based on things they're trying to avoid and, and protect themselves from them, things that they like, and it all culminates and gives us our life experience. So my one piece of advice is turn the finger inward and point it towards yourself at all times. Put, some, put a stick in your house somewhere, like put, put it on your mirror, put it anywhere in your house to constantly remind you to point the finger back in so that whenever you're going through a challenge, look at what that challenge is reflecting about you that you haven't dealt with and start to inquire into it. Now, inquiry can look like talking about it to mates, checking in. It can look, about, it can look like journaling and just writing and getting your thoughts out. I, do, I run an exercise on myself and with my clients where like, I write out the challenge and then I'll take myself through my own questioning. And whatever comes out, no matter how ugly the thought is, that's the key. You might be having the ugly, because so many people want to avoid the ugly thoughts they have about other people and other things. Like I have ugly thoughts about people and I'm like, whoa, I just thought that, whoa, where did that come from? None of that is us. So don't make yourself wrong. Don't blame yourself for having bad thoughts. Human beings have bad thoughts and good thoughts. They're just thoughts. There's no significance to it. So just turn inward, capture the thoughts on paper or in a conversation with mates and start to like get curious about why what the situations or the challenges that you're going through are reflecting about yourself, that would be it. The world would start to change from that if everyone did that. Journaling has been a massive part of what I've been doing recently as well. Like, it's either listen to The Last Dance, watch The Last Dance by Michael Jordan. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Or, um, yeah, I might just take the night off and be like, hey, I just want to journal my thoughts, which is a bit powerful. Yeah. For those that are listening and maybe want to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, the work that you're doing with Model Man. I'm not too sure if you just want to share. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, where can people find you? Yeah, so themodelman.com.au is the website. I'm going through a revamp right now. I'm going to have some brand new stuff up there. Uh, definitely check that out. And then on Instagram is like where I'm definitely like personally reach. Like you can reach me. So the Model Man official is the, is the tagline. And then we have a Facebook page as well, the Model Man official as well, that um, we pretty much post content about um, all the challenges that men face in the workplace and now women as well as we're branching into that. And we're keeping people up to date on the journey through those mediums. Um, but yeah, those would be the places. Awesome. You heard it from the man himself. <laughs> and on that note, thank you everyone for listening. This is Sunny signing off. And Hesh signing off as well. And thank you for listening to another episode of Bottled Up. We couldn't have done it today without the help of Hessian, an incredible man with an inspirational story. I've checked his details in the show notes below, so do make sure to say hi. 
Give him a follow on Instagram and tell him that you've listened to his awesome story. I'm sure he's going to be appreciating that one quite a bit. Stay tuned for our next episode where Ujwal will be making his podcast debut with Sean Bell, a man who has run 50 marathons in 50 days to honour his mate and is gearing up for a run across Australia. Keep in touch with everything that we have planned over the coming season on our Instagram at bottledupoz. And until then, adios.